Well, good morning, everyone. It's been a great morning. It's a day to celebrate. Uh, listen, in 2010, Jeff just prayed for us in this, uh, of our move here to Kelowna. But way back in 2010, we moved our family from Ontario to Surrey, B.C. And let me just say, the housing markets were not comparable. <laughs> It was quite a discrepancy, and our Ontario home wouldn't sell, so we rented a two-bedroom basement suite for our Jen and I and our five kids in Surrey. Party Central, it was not. And we had a gentleman's agreement on a rent-to-buy arrangement in our home in Ontario, uh, and so we felt empowered then to, to bridge loan a purchase in Surrey. And then our Ontario renters decided unexpectedly to move, and that left us with two mortgages plus a bridge loan. And we tried to sell again our home in Ontario with no luck. We were severely teetering on the brink when all hope seemed lost. God provided new renters. And so we settled in as the proprietors of a national real estate conglomerate. Uh, Three years later, Our Ontario renters moved out again, and we went back onto that slippery slope. And we tried to sell our house there. For months, we tried to sell with no luck, and we were severely teetering. And uh, I was having some very big financial discussions with God. (laughs) Lord, why? Why is this taking so long? Why are you testing us in this way? And then one Sunday in February, we were praising God as a church family in the church that we were a part of in Surrey a church that had been agonizing with us actually in prayer over our housing situation for five years at that point. And I was singing and I was lamenting. And then came this word to my heart so strong that I actually wrote it down. I still have it on a little shred of paper in my Bible at home. The word was this, I gave that house to you as a blessing. It will be, trust me. Wow. It was so settling. And the next Thursday, our realtor from Ontario called and said, uh, this, new, this young couple is moving into the area. They need a home by, by next weekend. Can we rent your house to them? And we said, that would be awesome. Thank you, Lord. This is amazing. It feel like the, felt like the fulfillment of the Spirit's word that Sunday morning until they stopped paying rent. And then shortly thereafter announced via email that they were moving out in two days. And we were at such a distance that how could we do anything about it? This did not seem like the blessing that the Lord had spoken. And so we tried to sell again. And we may as well have been trying to sell eight track players to the Amish. There was crickets. It was crickets. We were literally at the point of walking away. And then in late June of that year, so a couple months later, I, uh, I was with a supporter of the global mission that I was serving, and we were talking about God's work around the world. We shared mutual prayer requests, and I shared about our housing stuff. And the next day, the next day he called me. He said, Phil, we'd like to buy your house in Ontario, and we want to pay you what you paid for it so that you don't lose out. And then we want to donate the house to the mission work in Central Asia. You get your money, the kingdom grows, we get a tax receipt. Do you agree? <laughs> Crickets on my end. Come again? And that word from February while we were standing singing like we did this morning came flooding back to my mind. I gave that house to you to use as a blessing. It will be, trust me. 
Now it was clear. The glorious purposes of God were for layered and exponentially greater blessing than I could have ever facilitated. And a process was set in motion. And within five weeks, I kid you not, within five weeks, that house that we had not been able to sell for five years sold. Providing a kingdom vision businessman with the joy of generosity, our family, some much-needed relief, and more importantly, the work of God's kingdom in very difficult places, a much-needed boost. And we decided as a family in that moment that God's creative abundance needed to be celebrated. And so we shared this story with that church family that had been walking with us, and then everyone in the church had a popsicle on us. (laughs) And we went through a boatload of popsicles frozen sugar water. It was worth every sticky drop. And then this past August, when our last Sunday at that church in Surrey, when we were coming here to Kelowna, that church said farewell to us by, you guessing it? We had a popsicle celebration to send us off. There is a time to celebrate. We live in an age of complaint, woe, and fear. Entire news cycles surround complaint. Despite a world of wonder surrounding us, we often hear grumbling, finger-pointing, and dismay. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there is a time to die, and there is a time to weep, and there is a time to mourn. It's an honest biblical description of life. Romans chapter 12 verse 15 says that we should mourn with those who mourn, and we should. But try as you may, you won't find biblical blessing on complaining with those who complain, gossiping with those who gossip, and fear with those who fear. There is a time to mourn and ask God, what in the name of chips and dips is going on here? But this is so easy, it's, but, but, and this is so easy to forget when our days seem so challenging. There is a time to celebrate. There is a time to celebrate. There is a time to spread popsicles far and wide. Mourn with those who mourn in Romans chapter 12 is preceded by rejoice with those who rejoice. Time to die in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is preceded by there is a time to be born. Have you ever heard of the birthday paradox? The birthday paradox is this. If you have 23 people in a room, there is a 50-50 chance that two people will share the same birthday. Now, if you have 75 or more, the odds of two people sharing the same birthday go to 99.9%. So unless this room is a statistical anomaly, in this room there are birthday buddies. Does anybody have a birthday today? Does anybody have a birthday this week? Look at there. Okay. What day are you? The 23rd? All right. Okay, you guys are going to put you on the spot. Stand up. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear. <laughs> There is a time to celebrate. You guys should feel honored. Truly, we bless you. We celebrate life. 
We celebrate life. Celebration is increasingly a lost discipline in Western society. Despite the fact that we have more than we know what to do with. Abraham Heschel, influential 20th century Jewish rabbi, wrote this. It'll be up there. People of our time are losing the power of celebration. Instead of celebrating, we seek to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state, an act of expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It is to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or spectacle. Celebration is a confrontation, giving attention to the transcendent meaning of one's actions. We are passively entertained and amused in our culture, and we have assumed that means we're celebrating. Having downgraded celebration into amusement, we deaden our souls. We don't dance, we sit. And Heschel is correct that celebration is an active state some of the poorest cultures of the world embrace lavish celebrations. If you've ever been to these other parts of the world where they don't have near as much as we do in our culture, Western eyes can evaluate those parties in terms of their cost. How can a poor community waste so much on celebration when life is so hard? When we visited our churches in Ukraine, there every Sunday, whoever has had a birthday that week is celebrated in the midst of a country at war and wrestling with poverty. You celebrate life. It's precisely because life is so hard that celebration is needed and colorfully lived. If you don't take time to celebrate, you won't. You won't. Jean Vanier writes this, at the heart of celebration, there are the poor. If they are excluded, it is no longer a celebration. A celebration must always be a festival of the poor. Do you know how Boxing Day began? It wasn't a day to shop. Wasn't, believe it or not. There were no Boxing Day sales when Boxing Day began. Landowners and masters would box up food, money, and gifts from Christmas Day on December, and on December the 26th, also known as the Feast of Stephen, made famous by good King Wenceslas. They would be delivered to the servants and their workers a disciplined act of including the poor in the celebration. Celebration. True celebration is a time for all, for rich and poor, north and south, regardless of position, to act out joy. And on Christmas Eve, we will have the joy of giving to the work of Kelowna Gospel Mission and Child of Mine serving kids in India. The celebration must include the margins. Must, or it's not celebration. And so to, to celebrate, as Heschel writes, is to act out reverence, worship, joy, gratitude. It is a time to acknowledge transcendence, a better story than the one we're writing, living, and even including with us in it. In celebration, we confront the world with a declaration that we are recipients of and participants of something bigger. And human beings, if you think about it, human be beings who are bearers of the image of God uniquely own this responsibility on the planet. 
You may care about your dog's birthday. Your dog doesn't. It must be because the reality of how quickly dog years go must be very depressing. <laughs> there went another seven. Oh. Listen, human beings can make a mess of things, and the stuff we're hearing daily on the news reminds us that human beings are a big problem. <laughs> but human beings alone own the party. Human beings alone celebrate. Where did Rabbi Abraham Heschel get his celebratory ideas? Well, it's from the Old Testament. He's a Jewish rabbi. Where celebration was part and is part of God's law for Israel. If we assume that the Old Testament is a joy-sucking code, we are wrong. Because the law expressed God's holy character and his intention to form a people who reflected his goodness. The law shows that uh, what our creator would have us aim at, but it also reveals that in the end, there's no way on our own that we can keep it because we need our sinful nature disarmed and crucified so we become God's ambassadors in the world from a rebirth life empowered and emboldened by the Spirit of God. And this is why when the time came, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law. Galatians 4.4. 4. So Israel as a nation was mandated by the law of God to celebrate. There were seven prescribed feasts for the Jewish people. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which was essentially a week-long camping week. And some of, us, some of these remembered serious moments in Israel's walk with God and others celebrated outright joy, a party because seed had been planted and a party because harvest had come. All in all, in the life of Israel, when you combine all these feasts and festivals together, these celebrations, it equaled three weeks of the nation's life. Three weeks to set aside. But Israel also celebrated Sabbath. And not only the seventh day as a Sabbath day to refocus once a week, but there was also the Sabbath year. Every seven years, the nation recalibrated for a whole year. And then there was the year of Jubilee. Every 50th year, a full year of active celebration where the poor were released from debt and servitude and where property was returned to its original clans. And Leviticus chapter 25 calls this a holy thing, a participation in God's holiness, the confronting of life as we know it with the will of heaven for earth. The celebration was a sign. The eternal good reign of the King of Kings was coming and was possible, which brings us to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 1, 30 to 33, Mary hears the angel Gabriel say this, do not be afraid, Mary, you've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary's response to this was, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Those were words of wonder and action. 
The king was coming. The time of celebration that we had been enacting and waiting for was upon us. And I get to participate. Let it be to me. Let it be. When Jesus comes announcing his mission statement, his personal mission statement to his hometown in Luke chapter 4, he begins by using the words of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's he describing? The year of jubilee, the year of celebration. God's good news, the gospel, freedom, the end of oppression, the year of the Lord's favor. Mourning turns to dancing. This is God's will. And so in the Old Testament, God commands celebration. And with the coming of Jesus in the New Testament, he embodies celebration and brings it to us. It's why the angel sang, glory to God in the and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And it's why that voice was celebrated first with the shepherds, with the poor and the marginalized and the outcast, with the unlikely. The heavenly symphony, symphony performs for the lowest of the low, a free concert. Heaven and earth kiss, eternity and time meet. Shake off the grumble, open your eyes, adjust for joy, spread the popsicles. It's time to celebrate. And so the Old Testament promise for all peoples bursts joyfully and yet humbly into Bethlehem. Mourning and lament will not have the last word. This is the promise of the scriptures. Where God reigns, the last word is celebration. God is a God of celebration and joy, outrageously and lavishly so. And no biblical story captures this amazing hope more than Jesus' parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Turn there if you have your scriptures. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Two sons share the abundance of a good father. One dishonors him by demanding his share of the inheritance. The father divides the full inheritance between his two sons, which is an amazing thing because they now control the business and the estate. The future is placed fully in their hands. The father lets go. And one son stays at home and is the good boy. But the prodigal runs off and he blows it on every hedonist desire. And imagine the father's pain. And imagine as well the other son's rage. Eventually, with the money evaporated, the prodigal humbles himself and determines to return home, willing to be a slave. He's ready to relinquish his position in the family. And then comes this in verse 20 of Luke 15. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, 
Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. It's an incredible picture. The father runs and embraces and kisses. It's time for humility and sackcloth in the eyes of the son. But the father says, but the father says, bring me the best robe, dress him in style, Give him the ring of belonging and sonship. Bring him the best food, the food reserved for the greatest of dignitaries. Let us celebrate. Why? Because of grace. Because a dead son had come alive. A lost son had been found. My son is back. And this is twice repeated, both in verse 24 and in verse 32, once to the servants and then secondly to the good son who never left home but could not bring himself to celebrate. This is not just a token family thing that we are about to do, the father is saying. Like the Christmas dinner you'll have to attend. The father's saying this is absolutely necessary. This must happen. The father loves a party. The grace of the father catalyzes celebration. Grace and celebration go hand in hand because grace confronts what we deserve but haven't accepted and celebration confronts what we've accepted but don't deserve. Let me explain. As human beings who rejected our good Heavenly Father, we don't deserve to be received home. We can stubbornly even accept that we don't deserve to return home. <laughs> like the sun, I guess we just believe we'll work it all off somewhere in the outback. We can't accept that he wants us back as sons and daughters, as heirs in the family yet again. Only grace overcomes a torrent of woe and sin and pity parties. Only grace. And on the other side, only as, hu as human beings, we've accepted a life of complaint and woe, haven't we? We just accept it when we actually deserve a celebration and a party because we are made in the image of God. We are sons and daughters of the Father. We're His. We are his partners in stewarding this creation. The act of celebrating pulls us back to remember our dignity and our calling. And where the church, where the church abandons celebration, she has forgotten grace, that grace saves us, and that the creator has made us. And when we forget celebration, we have forgotten the power and the hope and the surprise of the gospel. American theologian Robert Farrar Capon writes this. Grace is the celebration of life, relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants in the world. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its causations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening until the prodigals come out at last and dance and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. <laughs> Today we celebrated baptism. Grace shouted in this place. 
We are prodigals and we are redeemed by the Father who ran our way. By grace we have been saved, not by works. It is the gift of God in Jesus Christ so that no one can boast and say, hey, look at what I did. And those baptized were screaming to us, I couldn't save myself. I am a prodigal. I'm not worthy. And we all said, yeah, you can't. And they were bashing, dripping wet through the streets of the universe, declaring, but the Father, God ran to me. Jesus died for my sin as the champion of my sin, my shame, my guilt, my fear. I am home. I am grace. I am lifted up and there is a party for me. Won't you come? And we said, now what will we say? What will we say? Will we be prodigals coming out at last to dance? Will we be the elder brothers finally taking our fingers out of our ears? There is no end to that which makes us complain or weep or dismay. But at least for today, at least for this week, when we come like lowly shepherds to find a babe who is good news for all people, at least today, it's time for more than popsicles. It's time to choose celebration. How will you build this into the rhythm of your life? You have built complaint into your life. It's time to live with a kingdom vision, friends. Celebrate the goodness of God. Let's pray. God, we worship you in this place. We celebrate your goodness and your mercy that you would run toward us like the father so longing for his rebellious kids to come home. And you throw the best at us and you surround us. Oh God, we run for you. And Lord, this morning, some of us may need to repent of only embracing complaint. We're trapped by woe and dismay. There are voices that are not your voices that we are primarily giving our ear to. Forgive us, oh God. You are a God of celebration. You invite us to times of great joy because you are the God who acts and brings great joy to all people. And we're the recipients of that by the grace that you've bestowed. It's a gift. It's a gift. And we receive it like a little kid ripping open a present, longing for that thing that they've hoped for. It's you, oh God, we've hoped for. And you've come. We worship you. We praise your name. And we celebrate. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.